Welcome to the Men in Hoodies podcast featuring your three hosts, Brent Lyons, Roman Cleary, and Jake Soup. We discuss and debate sports news and hot topics. So as like, just like last episode, it's been a little bit since our last episode. Let's go, uh, let's start out with a rundown of our weeks. How about that? So, so Roman, you mentioned how, um, you guys went to puppy school last week, uh, before me and Brent go, how was that? Okay, first off, you're the one that was like supremely against this segment. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> like, okay, this was not the unplanned segment that I was going to do. This just kind of popped up in my head, but uh, I feel like we should start with this. So let's go. Uh, okay, well, uh, our golden retriever Sersha went to puppy school for you know the four day puppy school this week at the West Tennessee K nine, and okay. she did she did very well. Oh, and Banks went the week before, and he did well as well. And so they're getting closer to becoming you know full on like obedient Down pets mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 i mean well, I'm, I'm glad you've got some quality canines now i moved to brent <laughs> how was your last week um it was awesome uh, i gotta gotta be a middle school leader at middle school camp with jake and uh gotta go to the uh memphis um uh, Athlete of the Year awards tonight, so that was fun. Had yeah. a lot of fun this week at that camp. I'm assuming you guys just like didn't have your phones or whatever. Because, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's what I'm guessing. Because, like, yes, there was little service in the mountains. It was it was not great. Y'all were in the mountains. What? Where was this? Gatlinburg. This was in a, a Coe. It's it's little. It's outside Knoxville. It's close to Gatlinburg, kind of in that area. Okay, I feel you. Yeah, it was fun though. Got to you know teach some young men about the Lord, and it was it was awesome to see the life change. Um, and we had a lot of fun too. So, yeah, yeah, of course, kicking basketball. Yeah, yeah well, we're not we don't have to get into that. All right, next <laughs> segment. Uh, to what about start you, out Jake? to start out the episode, I already oh, talked about my week. Okay, it's fine. Um, to start out the episode, I think we need to call out the cap. All right. So oh my this is a new are episode. Really? This, what this are is, you really? We are friends. We are. This is a new podcast. And I think as we are growing analysts oh of the gosh. game, we need to understand we're wrong. All right. So for oh all of us, gosh. on behalf of all of us, let's apologize for the first one. Um, if you watched last episode, you know oh that we gosh. did not solidify that Zion had played 85 games in three years and not 24 in two. We were wrong about that. Um, that would have helped my case if I knew those facts, but we were all oh wrong about that. Gosh. So uh, that was messed up. Next fact. Let's not wait, go wait, wait, into wait, the... Technically, <laughs> are, are, are you wrong about that, though? Because Zion played like 20-something games in his second year in the league. And... No, he played. He actually played 64. No, 61. It was 24 and 61. Okay. So, yeah, that was a fact that I mis- misconstrued, if that's a good wow. word. Um, but I think this is a good segment. Uh, y'all, we can all have stuff for next time. Uh, the next thing I have is that uh, Zion was in Portland strictly for rehab, and okay, that the Hawks a... made the conference finals one time. Shut up. One time, but I, I think <laughs> this is a good a thing. Fact. All right, yeah, I was also wrong about Zion's rookie year stats. Rather than being twenty-seven, seven and four, yeah, they were twenty-two, four and two, I believe. I, so still, still super like, solid. The Hawks won like sixty games the year that they made the. It was like oh, 57 yeah, yeah. or something like that. Yeah, they, they were like, pretty good. They were pretty good, but they did not make the conference finals. They also had six four years all-stars. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, we need we definitely need to clean up little things that we say wrong. On Notice that all Rome of us. didn't say any of these things. 
Now, you, <laughs> you agreed on the Portland part, but all right, let's just start off the was, episode. He was against the team. No, no, yes. whatever. Whatever, we can look at that next time. All right, let's move on to the first segment of the show. The let's look at the segment. NBA Finals. Um, by this time, by the time the recording of this episode is, we've gotten through two games. This is a 1-1 series, so we'll start off with Roman like we always do. Roman, what needs to happen for either team to win based off of what you've seen so far? Well, in game one, it was kind of a roller coaster. Golden State controlled it throughout, but then Boston came out with a three-point barrage in the fourth quarter. Al Horford went off. Derek White went off. And, you know, that kind of happened. You know, happy for Al Horford, by the way, seeing him finally in this moment. He's yeah, totally. His yeah. entire career, you know, balling out. He was a guy that was barely ever even a three-point shooter, you know, throughout his first, like, you know, like 10 or so seasons in the league. And then, you know, he came out, worked on his game over time, and now he's a legitimate threat from behind. Oh, the- yeah. And he was a big reason, perhaps the biggest reason, why Boston was able to win in game one. But then Golden State came out in game two. They were like, nah, not this again. <laughs> pulled away in the third quarter. Jordan Poole hit an absolutely unbelievable half-court shot at the end of the third. We were robbed of a Mike Breen bang. You know, he's still out. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah. But, yeah. Golden State just was absolutely dominant in game two. And I think a big key in that as well is that Golden State just – they didn't let Boston get the kind of looks that they let them get in game one. The Warriors really maxed the Celtics' physicality much better in game two. The Celtics were just the better team in game one in almost every single facet. The Warriors got really, really cold in game one. You know, they just stopped hitting shots. They were settling a ton. And that was happening a lot early on in game two as well. But then they just kind of settled in beginning of the second half, and they were just definitively better than Boston. But it's still looking really, really good for the Celtics. It's now essentially a five-game series with Boston having the home court advantage. It was so big for them to get a win at Chase Center. And I think what the Warriors are going to have to do is that, first, they have to continue playing the team ball that they've been playing, you know, in game two. Obviously, Curry's going to get his. Curry went off in game two. He went off in game one as well, but it Yeah, he played well both games for sure. Yeah, it wasn't enough, but Curry was simply unconscious in the third quarter of game two. That has to keep on happening. I think Clay really needs to step it up. He's been kind of quiet throughout these first two games. Draymond's played really well defensively. He's really worked hard down there, really kept Boston in check. And for the Celtics, Jason Tatum has been, dare I say it, just below his standards in these first two games. He had a really good Mm. fighting game two. But still, you're just like, okay, this isn't exactly the Tatum that we've been seeing throughout yeah. these playoffs. We... So, neither of these teams are what, are what I feel to be at their best right now. And whoever gets to that point first is who I feel like is going to end up, you know, winning the series. I'm still going to go with the Warriors because they have the experience and, and all that. But I, it's about a 50-50 shot right now. Actually, the odds in Vegas are completely even. So, there is no hmm. favorite right now to win the NBA Finals, which is almost unheard of in this day and age. But, yeah, really, really intriguing finals that we have going here so far. Really even matchup. And, yeah. Yeah, what about you? Entertaining. Um, well, the thing about the Jason Tatum, the, the Jason Tatum thing, we kind of talked to me, me and Jake had a conversation about it earlier this week. He's, he's very streaky, I feel like. And it's been talked about before amongst other analysts and stuff like that. But playoff-wise, he's either – dropping 30 high 20s or 40s or he's not getting double digits there's no like it's been few and far between for him I feel like this playoffs and the games that he's popped off 
are mostly games that they like are losing because yeah. you think yeah, about the huge. games the games that he's popped off, nobody else has done anything. He's taking away shots from everybody else. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but when you think about the fact that the games that the role players like Al Horford and Derek White are having great games and he's not having a good one, but everybody's getting shots up, they're winning. That I feel like there's something to be said for the fact that the games that Jason Tatum's taking, say, 20 shots and getting 28 points and they're losing by 20 and nobody else is getting more than like five shots or something like that from your role players. But the games where the ball's being spread out and even if Jason Tatum's having a bad game, everybody else is getting shots still and he has like 15 assists or something like that. See, like I don't finding ways to win. Bad. Either in either game, he struggled from the field, but he had 11 assists in game one, so he's still been solid. I think it was 13. Yeah. I think I, so it was I'm not saying he played bad, yeah. but three for come on, three for 17. Yeah, I mean, when you, I, I like your point, Brent, and I was gonna bring that up, but I mean, Tatum took basically the same shots both games, he took 17 game one, 19 game two. And I think it really just comes down to, Roman, as you mentioned, the experience. Really, all playoffs, we don't know what kind of Celtics team we're going to get. I mean, this team has been road warriors all season, and then they've really been bad at home. I mean, that you really don't know what Celtics team you're going to get. Game one, Marcus Smart drops like 20 points. Game two, one for six, two points. Like, really all around the board. I mean, Jalen Brown, five for 17. Like, you don't know what team you're going to get. And I think, really, if the Warriors are going to assure any win in the series, they have to score over 120 points. They got fortunate this game with the Celtics having an awful shooting night, shooting like 36%, 37%. I mean, they shot awful from the field. I think if the Warriors want to keep their foot on the gas pedal, they need to score at least over 100, ideally 120 a game. Because if you continue to pound this Celtics team as good as they are defensively, you will wear out this team's momentum. And I think that's something that the Celtics have not dealt with over the course of the playoffs. You've got a team like the or the, um, the Milwaukee Bucks, right? They're going to pound you, but it's not from the three-point line. It's from the twos. That You've got the heat, where if you match them defensively and you get an okay scoring night, you're going to win the series. But with this Warriors team, it all depends on how you play offensively because you know what the Warriors are going to give you but you've got to have a good night offensively if you want to even stand a chance. Yeah, I think uh, someone needs to give a real quick shout-out to Steph's defense. Um, he oh, had, yeah. oh, yeah, Curry he, has been really good defensively. He was, Especially he, was a little, he was a little upset, I feel like, with the way that Jordan Poole uh, let people just completely walk past him in game one. So I'm glad that he didn't just take out the anger and say something about it. He actually – stepped up his own defense to show that he's not going to get mad at somebody and not step it up himself. So I feel like that was a good leadership moment from Curry to uh, to kind of get on to pool, but then say, hey, this is how this needs to be done. And he was incredible defensively last game, as well as offensively for the most part, I feel like. But I think also the Warriors defense really did a good job of stepping up because I feel like the Warriors realized fairly quickly that if the Celtics want to win games, it's going to take more than Tatum. And so, mm -hmm. and if Tatum has a good night, that doesn't mean that they're going to win anymore. So yeah. really just exploiting the role players on defense and making sure that their shots are limited. And if they're taking shots, they're bad ones. Because if Tatum can drop 50 and you can still win, 
then by all means, let Tatum get the accolade of scoring 50 in the finals. Like that, like at the end of the day, if you win the game, you win the game. And the way that the series and the way that the playoffs has gone for the Celtics, Jason Tatum scoring 50 means nothing basically when the rest of the team is doing nothing. So yeah, I, yeah. You, I like that you're consistent on that point. Cause you talked a lot about with the Grizzlies series, who cares if John Rand drops 40 a game? I mean, if they're not winning, then he is, is he really affecting the team in a way where he needs to be? So I like that a lot. Yeah. And I'm looking forward. I mean, the Warriors credit to the Celtics, the Warriors lost their first home game of the entire playoffs. So that was something, there's something to be said about that. I think that, um, We'll be coming coming back to Golden State for Game Five. Will be a really an eye opener. So whoever whoever can take these next two, whether it's tied at two two, whether it's three one, either way, um, it's gonna what, what whatever we come back to at Golden State at Game Five when we talk about this. I feel like Game Five is gonna be the key game, no matter where the series is at. So oh um, yeah yeah for sure. I I think there's absolutely no way Boston takes both games. I don't know about y'all's opinion on that. Roman, do you, who, what do you think is going to happen in these next two? Do you have a prediction? Two, uh, yeah. I think they're going to split it. Really? That's what I'm thinking. I think they split it, and then the Warriors went two straight to finish out. Mm. So you got Warriors in six, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, huh. yeah I don't know. It's going, to be, it's going to be interesting, but based off the way the Celtics have played at home, I don't think they take both. Um, this, this next question might be self-explanatory, um, but who do you think the best player in the series has been so far? <laughs> It's definitely been Stephen Curry, you know, from both a statistical perspective and eye test perspective. For Boston, it's been Jalen Brown, in my opinion. I think he's been the most consistent player for the Celtics throughout the first two games. He had he was really hot to start out the first quarter in game two. I think he got, you know, nine points at the first, like, ten minutes or so. So, yeah. Um, the Warriors, it's definitely been Curry. And for the Celtics, it's been Jalen Brown. Um, I'm going to agree, but going a little deeper on the Steph side, I think that I mean, if the Warriors win the series, they'll still find a way to give it to, like, Gary Payton or something, which, no offense to Gary Payton, but it's just the way that the NBA works with, for some reason, giving Stephen Curry a finals MVP for, for some reason. But I think <laughs> that he's, he's played – I mean, I wouldn't say his best basketball, especially game two. I feel like there's still some things to work on. I think the defense was a unexpected twist that we that we got. We got a – not an all defensive team level staff, but we got a defensive level staff that we don't see many times throughout the course of the season. So I think that that was nice. Um, I think that the shooting percentage is still a little bit of an issue for me. Um, I think that I disagree. Well, take take as many shots as you want. I mean, the offense I, has to rely on him. Fair, and I understand that. But I'm saying, I'm saying this. Like I understand you've been in this moment. We've done this before. But the finals, you gotta like. Like, if we want to win, Draymond said the offense run through, runs through you and the offense ran through you when Katie was here, which I think was a fair point. But what I'm saying is if the offense runs through you, so do good shots and bad shots. You have to maybe sometimes limit the pulling up from three and just taking it right away and look for a different shot. If the offense runs through you, that doesn't mean that the shots run through you every time. Like When I you're Steph what, Curry, there is no bad shot, you know? I, Yes, and I get that. And coming from the one of the biggest Steph Curry fans there is, you like <laughs> saying this is saying this is a isn't isn't very easy. But I also know that I I don't want I don't want it to get away from him because we saw how it was kind of a struggle this season for him to kind of find his footing shooting wise. 
So I don't want us to get into another situation where game five rolls around and Steph's starting out the game 0 for 6, and now we're struggling to look for answers. I feel like yeah, especially with, point. With, with Clay kind of playing um, at a downspurt, kind of like he was to start the playoffs, I, I'm, I have full confidence he'll be fine. I don't know what's going on, but I said that last time and he worked it out. So I'm, I'm confident in his ability to figure it out. And with Poole and him not – him not ever being in this moment, not playing great defense, not doing great necessarily anything. He had a good he had a good game too, but I mean I'm not going to give him much credit because I do give a lot of our defensive issues game one to him. So I think that there's a lot of things that run through Steph right now, and as the leader of this team and as the offensive captain, he needs to he needs to be careful with the shots he takes, knowing that there's right now there's not many people at the start of the series, picking up the load besides him. Yeah, and, and he's been in this situation before. And I think that's something that we've got to trust. I mean, he's going to get his 20 shots. He's going to get yeah. his 12 to 14 threes. I mean, we know that. And so far, they're scoring about this exact same number of points. And mm-hmm. I really think that if you're going to assure a win in this series, if you're the Warriors, you've got to score 120, whether that's – Maybe Steph making more shots, which is, I mean, a tough ask because he's already shooting at a pretty good level for how many shots he's taking. Or it's passing the ball more. I mean, or it's taking away Jordan Poole's shots. I mean, I don't know what it is. Um, But whatever they can do to get over the hump of, like, 110, I think that should assure them almost any game. Well, and I think that Curry will get his 20 shots, like you said, no matter who else is shooting the ball. Like, you look at this, Curry shot 21, Clay had 19 shots, Wiggins had 12, Poole took 14. So that's a lot of that's a lot of shots. But what I'm saying is, like, you can – there's room to give the ball up and potentially get better shots. I'm not, there's no bad shot, like Roman said, for Steph. But <clears> – <throat> excuse me. But I feel like the way – the way in which we approach the shots that Steph is taking, knowing how important they are and kind of, I feel like Poole needs to take a little bit of a load off in the amount of shots he takes, give a couple more to Wiggins and Clay. But knowing that Curry shots are so important right now and the fact that we don't have a lock on the series and we're playing, we're playing best to so-and-so number of points or best to who can hit this many threes a game. I think it's very important that you, every shot that Steph is taking is so much more high quality than so than the we don't need him to take morale boosting shots. We need him to take high quality run shots, not shots that are getting the crowd that are getting the crowd back into it. We need shots that are like pushing the lead farther and farther. And the more the deeper the shot gets, the I've come to find out that the deeper the shot that Steph takes, the we're most likely down and that is him trying to that is him trying to get the crowd back into the game by making a shot which I don't think we need and that's just something that I've observed is noticing that Steph tries to pull which is not necessarily bad but I think that he tries to pull lots of stunts um when he when the Warriors are down which is something I think that we need to kind of limit a major problem for the Celtics in the series, I feel like, is that Boston is trying way too hard to beat the Warriors at their own game yes. instead of trying to play their own. Yeah, They saw that it worked in game one when they went on the three-point barrage in the fourth quarter, and then they tried to do that again in game two, and the shots just weren't falling. 
I mean, you have Robert Williams, you have Al Horford, you have Jason Tatum who can drive against anybody. You can beat this Warriors team by scoring in the paint. And they just haven't been focusing enough, you know, on doing that. The Celtics need to go back to playing the style of basketball that got them to the NBA Finals. They beat Miami in the paint. They beat Milwaukee in the paint. They beat Brooklyn, especially in the paint. That's the Celtics game, and they need to go back to that against Golden State. And I mean, I mean, about- the game, the game they won, game one, they took like forty-one threes. So I mean, they can get it done with the three-point shot. But you're right. I mean, they do need to take more shots in the paint. But again, this is not a similar team to anybody they've played. So but if you're feel, if you're continuing scoring in the paint, can you really keep up with the Warriors? You know, I feel like at the same time that we came into this but series, but this is the modern day NBA. You're going to get your three point shots, but you can't be taking 41 threes a game if you're not hitting them. Yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's and the same with anybody. I feel like we we talked about the series as a potential last episode, and we talked about how explosive the big men for the Celtics could be, especially against Kevon Looney. And I feel like the fact that the Warriors found a way to break the Celtics system into a point to which they're taking 41 threes instead of exploiting the inside battle is huge because we know we've seen this series, the playoffs for the Warriors, how it's gone is the team will, a team that they'll play will get hot from three and save themselves and win a game. And then there's the other four games where the team is thinks that because they had that one game that is going to last and shoots the exact same amount of threes and tries to beat the Warriors the way that the Warriors beat them, and they're just not the Warriors. The Celtics we've talked about are a – they can beat you inside. They have so much size on the Warriors. They, t- they need to take advantage of that if they want to win. And, sure, shoot your threes, but you're not going to beat the Warriors at their own game. That's not like – Nobody can do what the Warriors do on the outside. It's in, like it's impossible. They have <laughs> they have the three pretty much best shooters in the league right now on the same team. Like that, there's not there's not a beating Golden State at their own game. You have to you're gonna have to beat the Golden State Warriors at your game, and they're not doing it. They're barely even trying to do it. Yeah, I mean Tatum's been like he gets the ball, and if he's open from three, he's going to shoot. Like that's what I've seen from Tatum so far. Which is um, and you what know, Dylan was doing. Oh yeah, Dylan Brooks is not Jason Tatum. <laughs> that's, no, the, that's the issue. Um, but yeah, either way, um, I think it all depends on the Celtics and what kind of team you're going to get. Um, Warriors, you've got to score more points if you want to sure win for sure. Um, do y'all have anything else on this series? We could talk about the Draymond ejection. Do y'all have any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, did he get ejected? Draymond's going to do Draymond. Yeah. No. Huh. I don't think there's nothing else to that. Um, I think I don't like know. the the argument is that Draymond is more of a passionate player, so should he be given more leeway because of the player he is like, or should he be judged the same as anybody? Because you've okay. got somebody maybe well, that is less passionate, should he be judged like if he does just something a little bit out of the line because that's not what he's usually doing? Well, here's or, you know you know what I'm saying. Here's the thing. I think that it comes – you can compare this to um, players that have been in the league for the long time getting their way with referees compared to, like, rookies and younger players. 
Um, like the LeBron James and the Chris Pauls. Chris Paul, we know sometimes with Scott Foster and such, doesn't get his way. But with like LeBron and stuff, you see him get his way with literally everybody he wants. Like there's not – you don't see LeBron getting chippy with the refs too much anymore because he – like he can ask the refs to review a call and you've seen like a number of times where they go and do it for him because he's, he's been in the league that long that they, and he's been a great player. So they, they respect him a bit more. I feel like it can be the same with passion. Obviously Draymond Green has a mouth on him and sometimes he doesn't use it the way he should. But I feel like if you're a passionate player and you know that most of the time Draymond isn't necessarily gunning to be negative about it. He's just a passionate player and wants he wants his voice to be heard compared to somebody like Jalen Brown, who I'm not saying is any less passionate, but isn't as vocal about it. And Jalen Brown hasn't been in the league as long as Draymond Green is. So if, if Jalen Brown just all of a sudden did something that Draymond Green has been doing since the moment he stepped in the league, there might've been a little question about it, but in the same way that if Stanley Johnson started acting like LeBron James and asking for all these things to be reversed and acting like a GM and stuff like that, nobody's gonna nobody's gonna bat an eye at it like i'm not no one's gonna bat an eye at it nobody's gonna take him seriously because that's not like it's just not how it works so i feel like yes there's there's some cases where i feel like you need to look at it a little differently um as far as the Jalen brown and draymond situation goes i think it was just a kind of childish thing um i think that draymond's leg was on top of Jalen brown when they fell i think he moved it over um in a weird way, I think he could have moved it the other way, but chose to put it over top of his, like, put his head, basically Jalen Brown's head in between his legs, which I think was weird. But at the same time, <laughs> I feel like Jalen Brown kind of overreacted to it. He kind of acted as if Draymond, like, like was laying on him and Jalen Brown's head was literally inside of him, which wasn't at all what happened. I don't think it was, a, like, when I read about it and looked at it, it wasn't as serious as what it actually was or it was made to look more seriously than the actual video was. So I think that it's, I mean, sometimes it's just trying to get the refs also know what Draymond Green is and any way you can provoke that um, is an advantage to your team really. So, Well, I, I personally think that everybody should be judged the same way. I don't think that we should give leeway to guys who are, you know, more passionate or less passionate. I think the league in any way they can just needs to set a line, a fine line and say that if you cross this line, then we're giving you a tech. I mean, wavering the penalties for something like that, especially in a game of this much, you know, difference. Oh. Like, if you take out Draymond in this game, it's a completely different game. And the I'm Warriors not were fortunate to, to win. I'm just you saying. know, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. Part of playing basketball is earning the respect from the officials. Fair. Like that that that's part of the game. That's like a legitimate skill that you need to develop. That's a legitimate trait that you need to have. It's, it like, shouldn't be a trait in order to know what the refs are going to call or not and, like, getting your way with them. You know what I'm okay. saying? I think, I think though, in a perfect world, you're right. Everybody should be held to the same standard. Yes. But at the same That's time – That's not how it is. So you have to refs, respect Yes. You. You, Roman's right. Refs are also – you, They will call whatever you want them to call. If refs, you drive and prove them that you're willing to take contact, they will reward you. That's how it works. And at the same time, refs are supposed to be unbiased figures who come to bring the game and referee it in the most unbiased way possible. But there's exactly. now, being, at the end of the day, there's there's no forward. way for a ref to be unbiased when you are playing when you are refing eighty two however many games refs do a year. 
in the regular season, you're going to develop favorites and unfavorites. That's just how it works. And no matter if you express it verbally, online, whatever, it will be expressed in the way you call something during a game, even if you mean to or not mean to. When you when you see that player and you see if Scott Foster doesn't like Draymond Green, he may not express it with his mouth or with his words, but he might do it in a game because he's like, okay, I'm not going to give Draymond the benefit of the doubt. If I see something that looks sketchy, I'm calling him on it because I know the way he's acted and I don't like him anyway. So I'm going to give it to him. Like I'm giving him the tech. Like this is how, this is how it's going to be. And so I feel like in that sense, even if it's not meant to be unfair, it is unfair in that way. But, but I just, I just don't think that's fair. Goes way that not a lot of other players do. Draymond gets a lot of calls in, like in favor of his. Yeah. Team. Oh, exactly. A lot, a lot of what he does, they let go in general. Like, here's the deal. Like, LeBron, yeah, some of the calls that he gets are ridiculous, but he's earned that respect. Has Stanley Johnson earned that respect? No. Like, has Jalen Brown earned that respect? Not quite yet. Draymond I know, Green- but I feel for Draymond in that because there are some refs, they're like, oh, you know, he's used to that. Let it go. But then there are others like last night, they're like, oh, if we see something, we're going to call it like the Jalen Brown incident. I feel for Draymond in that aspect. And that's the reason he's always seen complaining about the ref's job is because they can't even call one guy personally the same way. That's why I think they just need to, this offseason, just solidify maybe like a key aspect of something that will get a call every time. Because how is somebody like Draymond, who's earned that respect with some refs, supposed to be called the same consistent way when other refs that he hasn't earned that respect for, how is he expected to know what they're going to call or not? You see what I'm saying? How I... How I get the rules that's on Draymond to control himself more. Exactly. Least, he needs to control, control himself, and we shouldn't allow him to do whatever he absolutely wants just because that he's passionate. But that's like passionate, part of earning that respect is controlling yourself, you know? Well, if, okay, you, if you're brought in to time, call a game and bring it fair, I don't think that, like Brent said, I don't think I think it should be completely unbiased and that we shouldn't allow human instincts to affect the call. Political. So we have to go with this alternative, which is earning the official's respect. But at the same time, I feel like we're we're talking about how passion and stuff like that, how he needs to dial down his passion. Once you dial down the passion, you're losing some of the joy of the game and what makes it so much fun to watch and so much fun to play. When you ask a player to die down what he's been doing for 20-plus years, well, yeah, yeah. he's worked his entire life, you, can't, you cannot, as a league, as a organization, go up to a face in a way of your league, not necessarily talent-wise, but face of your league personality-wise, and say, hey, we know that you love your sport. We know this is what you do for a living. We know this is what you've been doing since you were born. But we're, And we know that you've worked incredibly hard no, to yeah, do yeah, this. Brent, and Brent, we're I say, totally but, agree. Yeah, but I in totally the same agree. way, but you're saying, but you're saying we need to, he needs to die down his passion. The no, 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 no. The NBA dies a little. No, 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 not even. I just want there to be a standard, whether they go up to Draymond's level or they come down a level. I just want there to be but a consistent basis. There's a way that the rules work in the NBA. There's the normal NBA. There's the normal. Actually, here, there's the rookie rules, which is they're gonna get. They're gonna be a little tougher on them because they want to get them accustomed to the league. Like, welcome to the league. You're a rookie. Then there's the normal player rules that every normal NBA player abides by. And the refs are pretty much unbiased because you're pretty much unheard of. You don't do like you're still really good. Obviously, we're not hitting on any, any NBA player, but you're just kind of there. It's kind of like you're a background character. You just abide by every rule. Then there's the players that 
are the all stars, the stuff like that, the stuff that it's either going to be you're getting a little leeway on your calls because you're an all star and you've earned it, or you're getting a little more tougher calls because you are an all star and you've earned that as well. And then there's the Draymond Green rules, which are either you're going to be ejected in two minutes. Or you're going to get to say whatever you want and you're going to play throughout the entire game and kick somebody in the nuts and not get ejected. Like, there's – like, it's – and I think that's very unfair to Draymond more than it is to the league. Yeah, but totally. Like, that's yeah. the way the rules work. I, I know, but, and that's the way they work. And in my opinion, there needs to be something – something needs to happen I think where they can make it consistent for him. I believe this is our second, like, extended discussion on Draymond Green and the mm-hmm. officials. Like, I mean – they're like on this podcast or during the playoffs, like it is what it is. Like Raymond has built up his reputation, you know. And I know. I just same time, I, yeah. Keep going. This keep is going. part. Of, this is part of what makes like if if we if we go down to the normal players level on Draymond and he has to like stop being as vocal about it, we lose this. And this is what this is what fan passion is like. Fans love talking and debating about Draymond Green incidents and his. And him yelling at refs and stuff like that, and no matter like th- like this doesn't get to happen if you take that away. So I feel like in in some instances, like the conversation we're having now, we might not have it next year if the NBA decides to have Draymond come down to normal standards. So I feel like it's a very yeah. hard. Yeah, I I I agree with all. I think we're all agreeing. I'm just I'm taking it to the next level. I just want there to be a standard. I'd rather it honestly go up. Because I love the passion. I love it. I just feel for the players. Um, if they can maybe even make it like the NFL, um, let it go and move on. Like, seriously. Like, why do we have to nitpick all this little stuff? Um, but either way, I think it would be more fair for the players if there was a certain, uh, you know, standard for that. But as we move on, we're going to move to the second topic of the day, the NBA draft deadline. Um, starting with Roman, who is some underrated guys in this draft um, that you believe are going to stand out? Well, um, a huge standout for me is Trevor Shields from Duke, mm, a guy okay, that I think okay. if he goes back to Duke, shoots like 40% three or whatever, he probably ends up as like a top 20 first-round pick. But he decided to stay in the draft. He'll probably be a mid-40s guy in the second round, you know. So that that's one. And another one is Lester Quinones from Memphis. I know that's kind of a, I guess, like – Homer of pick. Course, of course, you can pick him. <laughs> But first off, Lester made the wrong decision. I'm just going to flat out say it. <laughs> like, and I'm not trying, like, logistically, yeah, sure, he showed out in workouts. I think there's he shot in one workout, he shot, like, 84 of 100 from three. And, yeah, and he really impressed teams enough to where he probably got some promises that we're yet to find out about. But still, like, he, like what are the chances of him, like, making it on some sort of two-way deal when he could have came back to the Tigers and been, like, a real star over there. So those are two guys. I know they're – I didn't exactly answer your question, but those are two guys that I feel like really could have benefited from coming back to school. Trevor Keels from Duke and Lester Quinones from Memphis. Yeah, and those are guys with a lot of talent that, I mean, if they get picked, could stand out for sure. So what about you, Brent? And mine are not as low or stuff like that as his, but I have one that's kind of lower and then two that I still think that are standouts that people are kind of sleeping on a little bit but might be higher up in draft boards. The one that's kind of a little lower is Patrick Baldwin Jr. I think that he made um, a a mistake in his college choice. I know that's kind of um, 
iffy to say because, you know, going somewhere and doing it yourself is always the way to kind of impress scouts a little more, um, which I think that he tried to do, and I give him an A for an A for effort there. But I think going to – where do you, what, what was it like? Milwaukee, Wisconsin was Milwaukee where he Panthers, yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm sitting here looking at like his stats, and I remember him being like a top two prospect going into last year, and they finished with a losing record. And I think that he his draft stock has gone not significantly down, but down enough to where people are sleeping on him. And I think that he he potentially could be a really good guard in this league. Um, all, I think he has all star level potential in him. I think that um, he's going to be a late lottery pick, uh, sixteen or anywhere between sixteen to twenty, something like that, because of the way that he performed um, in Milwaukee this year. Yeah, but and that reminds that me of kind of like a guy like Zaire Williams. I mean, came out of high school extremely hyped, had an okay season at you know what could argue a subpar Sanford team, and then gets picked late lottery. Like you know, it's possible. And then the two that I have that I think uh, – I still think are they're pretty high up on draft boards, um, but pe- some people are sleeping on them, I think, are um, Keegan Murray and Jaden Ivey. These two guys are my favorite two in the draft. I had to shout them out even if you don't think they're underrated. I just well, – I think that they're both – no matter what anybody says, I think they're both potential all-stars. I think they both have top – top two talent on any team eventually once they get into the league. I think that there is tremendous upside in both of them, and I'm really, really excited to see where they go. Another that's, a bold, that's a bold take. A.J. Green from Northern Iowa, I believe. He was expected to drop out of the draft and be one of the you know top guys in the transfer portal and you know probably would have earned a decent NIL check, but he's going to stay in the NBA draft and all that. So interesting decision from A.J. Green, Northern Iowa. Jake. Yeah, I think those guys can be good, but I mean, looking at the young players we have in the NBA right now, if it's a bold take to say any of these guys are going to be top talent, top one or two guys, you know, it's just a tough well, ask. Well, I think that some of these, some of these teams that are that are on the top right now are on the brink of kind of falling apart. I feel like the only sure. Um, Draft for me is Paolo Bencaro. That really that, that's it for me. See, I, I'm I'm good with really, Paolo Bencaro. I think that Chet is a bust. Dude, from anywhere on the floor, he can play multiple positions. I'm a big Paolo Bencaro guy. Yeah, he's a good player for sure. Well, I'm I'm gonna stick with my my uh, my Jaden Ivy and Keegan Murray, mm. and we'll see how it goes. No, I think I think they both can be good players, but. Top one or two on a team. That's got to just be something we wait on. I believe um, my a little two, more. You got, you got it. You got it. You got it. You got it. Okay. Um, my two guys that I'm going to go with are one of these guys is a known player. One of them is not. Um, both second-round choices right now. Um, but I think when you really look at them, they could be first-rounders if you're basing it off talent. Uh, my first one's going to be uh, the seven-one center from Auburn, Walker Kessler. Um, this is a guy that's 20 years old, transferred from North Carolina. Um, at North Carolina in his first season, he really had to stop playing in the shadow um, of Armando Baycott. And once you put him on this Auburn team, I mean, this team was the number one team in the country for most of the season. Um, tied for first in blocks in the country. Um, improved his scoring and rebounds by seven and five, respectively. And this guy, has he's really young. 
but he's got the raw talent to be a really great center in the NBA with some development. And I think if you put him especially on one of these young teams and allow him to grow, um, I think this is a guy that's got the outside shot, that's got the rebounding ability, um, the verticality to be able to be somebody um, in the league and a few years down the road. Um, and then another guy, Jordan Hall, who I was not really um, looking at earlier this week as I'm kind of studying for this, um, but I saw his name and I looked into him a little bit. Um, this is a six-seven guard from St. Joseph's um, sophomore this year. He weighs 215, so this guy's a huge guard already. NBA body guard, um, average 14, 7, and 6 on the season. I think this guy is a late-round gem um, when you're looking at guys that could potentially be you know, decent guards in the NBA down the road. And I, th- I think really both of these players are underrated. Um, but when you look at their stat lines and you look at the production they had in college basketball this past season, I mean, these are both guys that are going to play their role and maybe even exceed those. So I really like all these selections that we've had so far. I think – I think one more I want to add to my list. Um, and I think that he had a good – he had a pretty good season. I think Wendell here is someone that um, – Wendell Moore? Yeah, yeah. Wendell Moore. I think That's that so I, iffy. Listen, I think that it really – It's really going to come – It's really going to come down to the team that he gets picked by. I really, really do. Because right now, I'm looking at draft boards and stuff like that. Lots of people have him going to Orlando with a mid-second-round pick. I think that if he ends up in Orlando, that would be perfect for him because we've seen the way that Orlando has kind of started to develop young forwards, like the way that they're developing Franz Wagner right now. I think he has tremendous upside, and I think that they're doing something there with him. If he comes in and they start developing him the same way they develop him because they're, they have, they're, they're not the complete, completely similar player, but they have some similar attributes. So I think that if they start developing him the same way they're developing Franz, the sky's the limit, but I feel like he has a lot, a, a lot of opportunity to be a good role player in the league. I don't, I'm, I'm not saying that he's going to be an all star or anything by any means, but I think that this guy could end up being a steal, depending on if the right team gets him. Yeah, I could see that. Um, the Trevor Keels is the same thing for me. I mean, I, I've personally never been a fan of Trevor. What 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 sticks out to you, Roman, about Keels? Um, again, I think he's a guy that probably should have stayed in school. He was a really, really solid point guard for Duke, but he was really ineffective shooting from the perimeter. And I feel like if he is able to improve that part of his game, he goes from like a second round, you know, 40-something-ish pick to a top 20 pick in the first round next year. I don't uh, – I mean, with an outside shot, yeah, I could see that. He's just a really – He's a weird guard. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He's just huge. You know, I don't know if he's quick and fast enough to be able to – he usually uses his strength to get by people. But NBA, I don't feel like that's not going to fly, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's it's a tough ask with a lot of these guys. It's a lot of iffy – it's a lot of questions in this draft compared to last year, for sure. What are you going to say, Rum? Again, honestly, the best players in this deadline is the returning to school, in my opinion. So – just like, yeah, I agree. I think with all these guys, if they would have returned, they would have been studs. Um, but now they're sitting at at least the guys me and Roman have mentioned are, you know, late first round, second round guys, um, which yeah. I think is fine. Yeah, I think in this deepest of a draft, if you're even getting picked, <laughs> good for you. You know, yeah, yeah. this is so deep. And, get, um, and now, yeah. I just gotta say, 
how does Gonzaga keep on doing this? Like, legit. Gonzaga does this every single year. Like, now they got three of their five starters back in Drew Timmy, Julian Strother, and Roger Bolton. And then they go get Malachi Smith from Chattanooga. Like, <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> hey, man, I just want you to know that you just said Roger Bolton. I want you to know that he started his career at Penn State and would have been a great point guard for us still if um, our old head coach wouldn't have said some mm. questionable comments here. Well, I love the decision to go to in a, a team that actually matters in college basketball. Um, moving on to the second part Damn. of this segment, um, you have any predictions on draft movement? Um, teams trading up, trading down, trading picks. What do y'all think? I mean, I don't know. The Grizzlies are obviously a candidate for that as they are, you know, every single year. I mean, we've talked a lot about how, you know, they got 22 and 29. That's that solid capital and they can definitely pick good players with those picks themselves, but they can definitely use those two picks to move up and get someone that they really, really want. So the Grizzlies are obviously like the number one standout in terms of draft movement yeah, since I think, the thing that they, they've done it plenty of times before and they have the assets to do it again. I think that for me, there's three teams that are actually all in line um, that I think are big candidates to move uh, the Pacers, the Pelicans, and the Kings, I think, are the biggest three that could mm-hmm. probably make a move. Lots of teams. Um, the Pelicans the most successful this season, but they do have the sixth pick. And they, I think that that pick is kind of a weird one in between some talent. So I feel like they could maybe either try to get out of it, move up a little bit. And then I also see the Kings as someone who would maybe want to jump on Jaden Ivey. So I could see them moving up one spot or something like that to potentially try to get him if he's rumored top four. And then I can see the Pacers moving out. Um, I don't see – like, like I don't know if I see anybody that's really just jumping off the page for them to draft at seven. I think that if they move back and maybe take a pick and a player or something like that and drop out of that, I think it would be the best for them. Yeah. Imagine having to stick with Jaden Ivey and De'Aaron Fox in the backcourt. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a tall see? ask. That's what I'm, yeah, that's, that's what I'm insane. Saying, man. And then, but, and then you, you think you're done with that, and you get one of the best young defenders in the league. Yeah, yeah. but but also like it's one of those deals where I don't know if there's a player in this draft that's like legitimately worth like trading up for it at the top. Oh, there's not. Really? No. I mean, I think like top eight or could be good, really good players. You know? Okay, think, let's go. We'll let's go down the list real quick. Later draft, you know, the second round, like we always do. But in terms of early draft movement, I don't know if there's anyone on the board that's like worth that kind of capital. Let's go down the list real quick. So Jabari Smith. Yes. Okay. I think he's going to be a good player, but eh, but is it worth trading players that you already know are proven for the number one pick to the Magic? Yes, Jabari Smith, that, think, that guy. You think so? Yes. Okay, that's fine. I can see that. Chet Holmgren, you cannot convince me that he won't be a bust. You can't. I mean, if he's the number three pick, you can't say he'll be a bust. Like, this is a really deep draft, but it's not a star-studded draft, if that makes sense. Exactly. Yeah, Compare this draft draft to last year. Last year, you would have traded – or even two years and three years ago, you would have traded – you would have wanted the first or second pick, no question. This year, it's kind of like – Okay, first and second pick, yeah, Jabari Smith, but do I need to like what what is the cause and effect of me trading up for him? Should I just wait and sit back like cuz I can get other players that are still good? What like what do you do here? Like I feel like this draft yeah. is a bunch of just sitting and waiting. Yeah, I I could see that as well. Yeah. I think for me the two teams that I picked are 
completely different than y'all, which is kind of funny. Um, I picked the Thunder to trade up here. Um, for me, I think they've got to go quality over quantity. I mean, I'm not predicting anyone to trade up or trade. Yeah. I'm just seeing like who could potentially be. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because really, same, we have same no here, idea. same here. Yeah, same here. I, if I'm the Thunder, I'm trading up. They've got four picks, three in the first round. Um, I think that if I th- I would trade up here, maybe move into the top seven. You've already got the second pick. Maybe move like the twelfth and the thirtieth for a top seven, top eight pick. Because I I do agree. It is deep, but not star-studded. But I think that we could be really gladly mistaken with this because a lot of these players are very young and very talented. They're, they've already showed out at a college level where showing they can score. And then if you put them in an NBA environment where it's really the young stars that are not taking over yet, but it's getting close to doing it, I think that this could, we could be gladly mistaken on that. I think we see a couple stars come from this, whoever that is. I have no idea. Um, second team, Blazers. Um, there's been reports that they could want Levine or Beal. Um, I think that they could possibly use some draft capital to pick up a star with this. Um, they could be one of those teams that is not going to pick up one of those, you know, guys that could be a really good role player. Instead, they'll try to, like you said, move down for one of those guys that's been proven already. Now, again, I'm not a big, like, NBA draft expert or whatever. In yeah. terms of draft, I'm much more – you know, deeply involved with the NFL draft and all that. But, you know, again, just a really, really solid, like, you know, draft that we have here in the NBA, really deep. But I just don't know if there's anyone that's, like, worth trading up for, like, with legit capital. I agree. Yeah, I see that. I'm just scared because last year people were saying the same thing. And if you look at the top 30 guys that were picked. Uh, I don't are, know about that. I would have been willing. Minutes. I would have traded up for Jalen Green and taken number one in a heartbeat. Well, all, all of those guys are getting minutes now. Which is the thing. And this draft is way deeper than last year. Um, but we've got to move on to the transfer portal segment of this. So there were guys that were committing to the NBA at the NBA draft headline, but also there were the guys that we talked about um, that I did actually drop drop out. So, Brent, who are the biggest guys left for you um, that did drop out potentially and they have not picked a team yet? Um, I don't. I only have one, and it's not one that dropped out. It's just one that hasn't kind of cleared where he wants to go yet. He's came out with kind of his final, his final pairings. We talked about him a little bit, um, past episodes, of course, and just some normal conversation. Armani Bates is the one for me, mm-hmm. um, but Good. I'm waiting to see where he goes because um, why? As much as Why as much as, <laughs> as much as Roman dislikes him and doesn't think that Armani Bates meets the caliber or standard, if you will, to play for Memphis basketball, I think that it's very stingy to say that a five-star who has proven himself to this point, um, high school-wise, high school-wise, can um, doesn't deserve to be a part of Memphis when Memphis hasn't proven themselves in the past couple years to be worthy of Armani Bates. Um, I think that I think that Armani is going to go to whatever team he chooses, and it's going to be. Um, I think it's going to be a new opportunity for him. I think that um, the schools he has left are way – I think that the, the Memphis experience was good for him. I think that learning that this, having this experience is going to be a pinnacle part of his career and his going to the NBA story. But I think that the teams that he have left on, this, on his list are the teams that he should have had when he decided where he wanted to go in the first place. I think that Michigan especially – could be a good school for him. Um, I'm, but I'm really just looking forward to see where he goes because I think that wherever he goes is going to be I don't think Michigan wants exponential. It. I don't think Michigan wants it. 
Well, Roman, you don't He's gonna think play. that Amani Bates belongs anywhere, and I cannot wait for Amani Bates to play Memphis in March Madness and beat you guys single-handedly. In my opinion, the only school that he's actually good enough to play at on his list is Eastern Michigan. And that's because you have a bias against him. I don't. I literally well, play. Let's look at the happy game. medium here. Let's look at it. The Memphis experience was a good experience. American Athletic Conference-level competition. But that's not even great competition. Defensive-wise, it is. But the, the well, reason it was a good experience for him is because it showed him that he cannot play the exact same style of basketball that he did yes. in high school where he was successful. Yes. That's why. Yes. And I don't think that that's going to change anywhere else he goes. I think that he's got to learn the skills needed and necessary to succeed at the college level. But the good thing for him is that college basketball and NBA basketball are completely different. And the style that he loves to play in high school translate more to the NBA than it does in college basketball. But he's got to learn the intangibles in college first to be able to prove that he can make it to the NBA. Bottom and line. you, Eastern Michigan is the only place on his list that he can go. I feel like you're forgetting that he was the number two prospect in a five-star last year. He's not a bad basketball player just because he had a rough experience at Memphis. I think it's people like you, Roman, that made his experience so terrible because you got on <laughs> every single time he had I a rough. I him to succeed more than anyone. No, you didn't. You, <laughs> you know how high his downfall. Submitted back in all. <laughs> this is the... I Roman. Had a super you said. <laughs> you... <laughs> oh my god, Roman! You went from super team to he can't play on Eastern Michigan. Listen, I said he's I, I, he's good enough. To <laughs> he said that the only school he could play for in his list. Okay, is okay, Michigan. okay, okay. Uh... <laughs> but like, man, and uh, another thing with Amani that you guys aren't considering is that the off-court baggage that he's going to bring to whatever program he commits to is unbelievable. We saw the kind of problems that his father caused at Memphis. Like, imagine if he goes to Eastern Michigan and he struggles there. Like, what is he going to do then? Like, I don't think he's going to have an is- issue if he goes to Eastern Michigan. <laughs> it's possible. It's possible to have an issue anywhere you go. Yeah, and, and, and plus all this reports from Corey Woods at the, the Different journalists in Detroit that he was talking trash about Penny behind his back to recruits and all that. Like, are you? Yeah, that's that's bogus. That's ridiculous. I don't believe that. Why? Why wouldn't you believe it? It makes sense. Oh my gosh! Because this is can't that decided to literally sit out to protect his draft status. Roman, you're believing you're believing that the lies that the media are trying to root in you to make yeah this okay situation that's that's actually a good more. point. The media has lied about Amani all season. I mean, literally, ESPN thought he quit the team for half of the regular season when he literally was hurt. Like that's what they're reporting. He no, he did not quit. He literally came back in March. He literally came back in March Madness, Roman. Because he was let him come back. He was on the team, and he still, after all of that, after quitting, he still let him. <laughs> wanted him to experience the opportunity. See, this is what the media does. See, Roman, I wanted to explain to you something because I know that you no, want to go into this good and we both do. We so here's so so here's the thing. The media, so what happens is you see you have this issue. It's kind of blooming. It's like this tiny little circle, like a dot, if you will, of issue. And what they do is once they see something that's exploitable in it, they expand it to an astronomical proportion to where that the littlest thing, like the fact that Jimmy Butler is Michael Jordan's son, like you take that, <laughs> you take that, and you and you blow it up into something astronomically stupid. Like how, like 
why would nobody like recruiting process goes on all year? So why doesn't something come out about this when when Imani quote unquote quit the team? So since he didn't quit the team, this doesn't have to come out because he didn't quit the team. There's no reason to say anything about it. When he leaves the team, oh yeah, sure. Now let's talk about the yes. fact that he quit the team and that he's talking trash to recruits. The team without you, the team without you plays well up to the second best team in the country according to BartTorvik.com. And then oh he's gosh. like, oh, I want to come back and play in the tournament now. Roman, like, Roman, when injury at all? At Roman, what are they gonna? The only what is it gonna take for you to understand that stats and metrics do not matter? And he has madness. a point. He has a point. Amani, Amani was bad on the court from a team perspective. Yeah, like, that is obvious. And we admitted that. We admitted it, that. It is a numerical fact that Memphis was a much better team with. Yeah. Monty Bates. I think we, we dropped down that. to like mid sixties when Amani was but, off the court. Yeah, but here's Memphis the thing, was at the same time. Amani leaves, wanna... and then all of a sudden, oh, they they play really well. They're in the tournament, and then then that's when Amani wants to come back. That's when he and wants to be a team player. Like, now, give me a freaking break with that, man. Okay, but if you want to base it, if you want to base this off Torvik or whatever stat you want to use, so. Torvik, Memphis was ranked two. Gonzaga was ranked one. Memphis eventually lost to Gonzaga. So in that sense, shouldn't Gonzaga go all the way and win it? No, they don't because it's March Madness and it doesn't matter. Stats and statistics and all these Ryan things. Martin right now, we're talking about Imani Bates and how. And I understand. And I understand that. But what I'm saying is that you can't place Imani Bates in this box of him playing bad on Memphis. Some teams don't work. He tried the experience, and it didn't okay, work. Brent, so he's going to go somewhere else. Memphis is not better without Imani Bates last season. Tell me that they weren't better when he got when he left the team. He didn't leave the team. He was injured, first of all. And, yes, they were better when he wasn't on the floor because he had a bad experience. Now, when he goes to Michigan or where he goes to wherever he decides to go, and he proves you wrong that he deserves to play basketball for Memphis and that you are a stingy Memphis fan who thinks that you deserve every five. Oh, there you go. Uh, well, either way, Brent, whatever team gets Imani, I think that's a steal for them because oh, he is a guy with a bunch of upside. Um, my player is going to be Pete Nance from Northwestern. Um, this is a guy who was kind of like – Keegan Murray a little bit in his play style. Um, 6'10 forward, senior. Um, if you're looking at possible teams for this guy, I think North Carolina is a good option to replace a Brady Manic kind of player. I think Memphis is a good option, replacing Landers Nolly, Lester Canonias. I mean, this guy shot 45% from three. Um, this guy was a very good player, and I think whatever team picks him up is going to use him very, very valuably as you look down the road for next season. North Carolina for him, I think. That's what yeah, it, that's that's what I said too. North Carolina could be an option here, um, but Roman, who is your guy? My my guy for what exactly? Like the transfer? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were talking about the transfer portal before Armani. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. Um. Emmanuel Epcot, I think from Boise State. You think he's good? Is a is a guy. I mean, you know, there there aren't a ton of like great players left, and I was gonna. And I would have mentioned Kerwin Walton, but that's a whole like Memphis thing that I'm going to get into in a minute. Yeah. Oh yeah. Here we go. You know, I think ACOT's really solid. I mean, there isn't a ton of talent left in the transfer portal. I mean, Isaiah Mosley committed to Missouri earlier, and yeah. So, I mean, transfer portal is really thinning here, and you guys already took two other guys off of that: Amani Bates and Pete Nance. So yeah, Keon Brooks committed to Washington earlier, so I'm kind of spread thin here. 
Yeah, I know there were 100, 110 guys or whatever that dropped out like last day of the draft. So there's a lot of players in the portal, but the talent's the question. Um, looking at Memphis specifically, Roman, what have you seen from them so far? Well, you know, first off, you know, with the loss of Lester Quinones, there's a huge void to fill, you know, in the wing with multiple guys probably in need. And one of them is is Kerwin Walton. He's become a pretty apparent option for them. Reportedly, Memphis and Texas Tech are the leaders for Kerwin Walton right now. He's a guy that averaged around eight points a game, shot 40% from three in his freshman year at North Carolina. And then he kind of fell out of the rotation in his sophomore season when, you know, Hubert Davis takes over. They really shorten the rotation in the second half of the season. They move Caleb Love to the two, go with RJ Davis for one. And then that really, you know, there's no real place for Kerwin Walton after that. So that's kind of what happened to him in North Carolina. There's, I'm tired of the narrative that he just, like, sucked at UNC and just fell out of the rotation for that. It wasn't because of that. It's that they North Carolina just completely changed how they play, you know, midway through the season. And it was the right decision. They got to the NCAA tournament final, lost to Kansas. But still, Kerwin Walton is a really solid player who would be a nice fill-in for Lester Quinones on the wing. And the guy they already have committed is Teodorici Akubandu Egyogu. Hell yeah. <laughs> But yeah, <laughs> Teodorici Akubundu Egyogu, he transferred from UT Arlington to 6'9 big from that. A guy with a really story. <laughs> First off, me. he lost both of his parents when he was 13, then moved to a that same year. Didn't well, didn't even see a ball in person until he was 13 years old. Then he, you know, figured, hey, I'm actually pretty good at this. So he kept on playing, he got, earned a scholarship at the NAIA level. Didn't really work out for him there, so he pretty much quit basketball and started <laughs> none other than Home Depot. Yeah, that's right. Home Depot. Oh, my gosh. He thought he was done, but then he was able to get in at UT Arlington, proved himself there, obviously, and then he scholarship to Memphis. He was in the NBA draft process for a minute, worked out for teams like the Lakers and the Hornets and also the Thunder, if I'm not mistaken. So, yes, this is a guy that's got legitimate NBA traction, really, really raw on the offensive end, but an anchor defensively, averaged 2.6 blocks a game last season, which was 20th in the nation. And he's super, super athletic, can run the full length of the floor, going to be a huge asset for Kendrick Davis to catch, to throw lobs to, you know, in the paint. He's a really, really good fit here for Memphis, and I really like that admission. Yeah, I listened to that episode of the podcast as well. Um, what a story for that guy coming in um last one last little question of the day right, um, who won who wait what do you say we're not going to talk about penn states basketball i mean if you want to if you want to briefly mention penn states yeah go ahead go ahead I, i'd love to um well in case you were wondering which i'm sure you all were penn <laughs> state has uh has gathered in eight recruits overall five from uh five from high school and three from transfer we've got our uh, second highest recruit ever in Penn State history behind Lamar Stevens, a 96-point uh, whatever-whatever center. Uh, he's barely a four-star, almost a five-star. He uh, He's coming to Penn State. He is a, like, 6'11 center, so that's something we'll do good with. We've also got a bunch of four-star – a bunch of lower four-stars coming in, some really high three-stars. Um, and we have Michael Shrewsbury, who had a great first year with no recruits at all. And now we have the 25th best recruiting uh, rank in the country. And so you'll see us this March. Um, I'm very oh, excited. Oh, wow. Bold take. 
Bold take. The Nittany Lions. <laughs> yeah, we're going dancing, Roman. <laughs> well, we'll see about that. Um, see if he can put it together. Last question. Who has been the best team in the portal so far for you, Roman? I mean, uh, well, obviously, it has to be Texas Tech in terms of actually getting guys. But the team that has won the portal for me is Gonzaga. Just getting Malachi Smith alone, you know, on top of that lineup is just absolutely tremendous for Mark Few. And they're going to be the preseason number one team in America for that very reason. Adding Malachi Smith to a lineup that already consists of guys like Drew Timmy, Julian Strother, and Razier Bolton. But, yeah, um, in terms of actually getting guys, you know, getting recruits, it's Texas Tech. But, you know, it, actually, logically speaking, it has to be Gonzaga who has won the transfer portal just for adding a player like Malachi Smith to the lineup that they already have. Am I allowed to say LSU for basically transferring their the old Murray State team over to LSU? <laughs> yeah, go that, ahead. Does, does that does that count? I mean, has anybody ever done that where they've basically like picked up a team, dropped them on another one, and then, <laughs> and then got rid of the rest of the old one? I mean, how many pretty, was it? Like three guys that went over? It was more than that. They got. I think it was, they got it a, may have been three. I mean, Seton Hall got obviously got a bunch of the St. Peter's guys too. Yeah, but I think that. Uh, I think that Texas Tech's the obvious favorite. I'm actually pretty happy for my Nittany Lions considering that next – I think it's an underrated one because I'm not I'm not even just being biased here. I think it is because last year we had uh, no players that came in and um, we had no new recruits and we lost like seven of our best players who all ended up playing um, for March Madness with an exception of one of them. So I think that the uh, the majority and the, the fact that Michael Shrewsbury had a very successful he- first uh, full season at head coach was very promising. So I think that Penn State had – they're not going to be an incredible team, but I really do think that March Madness might be in the works this year. Yeah, yeah. I like that you bring up LSU here. They're on the portal, then people give them credit for. Obviously, they got the best player in the portal. Great start, obviously. Elijah McCadden, who isn't good enough to be a starter at Memphis, but can be a really solid bench piece. He was the sixth man of the year in the Sun Belt. And, of course, getting Teo Dorichi Akabundu Igyogu, who fits in as, you know, prototypical. How long did it take you to memorize his name? Two or three days, give or take. Roman's just sitting in his room. Yeah, I'm going to stick with calling him KO. I think that's pretty good. I was about to say that's But I like that you bring up LSU, Brent. Because um, they brought over, yeah, three guys from Murray State. Um, but a guy that left LSU um, to the team I'm going to mention. See, I was going to mention Illinois here. Um, but I, when I look at t- teams that win the portal, I'm not looking at necessarily the only guys that came in. I'm looking at who they lost as well. Because yeah. I think it's very important to look at not only who you brought in, but who is staying there as the core. Um, and I'm looking at Florida. Another team from the SEC brought in four-star Alex Fudge from LSU. Florida didn't um, go to the tournament last year. I know. That's, and that's what I'm saying. They kept their core, but also they brought in guys like Kyle Lofton from St. Bonaventure who didn't but make the tournament this year. Good. Like, if, you're not a, if you are a Power 5 team and you don't make the NCAA tournament, you're not any good. Like, you're just, they, were, they were on the bubble all season. But you're not any good. Yeah, They're on the bubble all season. Then you've if got you the entire offseason. And you don't make the NCAA tournament, you are a bad team. There's yeah, but you, you had the entire offseason to bring in four other guys that are all four stars. Yeah, but you can't factor in a Florida's core when their core wasn't any good. Well, their core was a bubble team, and then you bring in Myron three or Jones. four other four stars. You also brought in Will Richard, who's like a four-star huge center from Belmont. I mean, the only guy they're losing, their best guy they're losing is Keontae Johnson, 
who has barely even played since his on-court incident like a year ago. Like, this team can be good. And when you're looking at teams that win the portal, who cares if they were good last season? If they can bring in talent, I mean, you mentioned St. Peter's. Like, St. Peter's was a 15 seed. Like, they, again, March. Stats don't matter in March. But this team was a 15 seed. Like, not a great team when you're looking at overall talk, spectrum of college basketball. Not a power five school. Exactly. And Florida is a they power five They weren't a great school. team. They weren't a great team in non-Power 5 basketball, which is saying something even more. But when you're looking at Power 5 basketball and SEC basketball, there are a lot of guys from the SEC this year that went to the draft. So if you're looking at a core together that stayed together, and then you bring in three guys that played so well at their respective schools last year. It was a core that wasn't good because they didn't necessarily turn it as a Power 5 school. In the SEC. Like in the SEC, it is easy to make the NCAA tournament as a power five program. You have so many quad one and quad two opportunities. Like if you don't make the NCAA tournament as a power five school, there's no excuse. There's- yeah, but there, there are a lot of good mid-level teams that do improve. There are. That's just the, that's the bottom line. Look at North Carolina and Duke last year. <laughs> they were absolutely nothing. Both of them make yeah. the final four this year. All they had to do was add pieces and then com- continue to grow those guys. Look at Armando Baycott. Armando, Armando Baycott's been on this UNC team that didn't make the tournament like two years in a row, and then they're in the Final Four. Like it, it, The core that you have is it's important to college basketball if you can keep your team. In the modern era where you've got guys continually transferring all the time, a Florida team that's been able to keep their guys and then bring in more, I mean, that shows not only the commitment of those guys at Florida, but the other guys to say, hey, I'm a four-star who sees the talent on this team, so I'm going to commit to come here for a year with these other top talent guys in the portal. I think that's very important. I mean, we'll, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, obviously we'll see. Third best team in their own state. So <laughs> It's a good point. Good point. Um, but, yeah, as we wrap up this episode, guys, y'all got any last thoughts on what we talked about today? Um, that – Amani base continues to be severely overrated here by. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm going to continue on the Amani hype train no matter where he goes. And even if he does bad, I'm going to continue to hype him up just to spite you. And it's also Nigerian names are extremely fun to say when you know how. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have to be a Nigerian name for it to be fun to say, though. <laughs> all right well uh that's gonna wrap up the episode today we Thank gonna... you. wait what, what are we gonna do are we not gonna talk about who i oh, want to go to dinner with oh no no not that we've got to talk about the no. extra subject real quick no all right this is gonna be quick okay this oh is gonna be gosh. quick but if you had Make to commit a, if you had to commit a felony if you had to do anything illegal without getting caught what would it be I feel like this is such a stupid thing to do on air, but mine I, mine's fine. Mine's okay. What 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 um, is yours if it's so okay then? Well, mine would be going into Area Fifty One and writing down every single secret about this country's past and this country's present, and then keeping it for myself because I want to know that information. To be you honest. would not be able to keep it for yourself. No, no. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think that'd be you know a kind of a chill thing to do not too bad you know just kind of like a your country said it's not okay so i don't know i think it'd be decent it wouldn't I, be committing any felonies or anything like day or so and i can't really come up with anything you know fun because like like you're committing a felony you're doing something illegal <laughs> yeah. not exactly 
this question this question is really just pointed at getting someone in trouble but you know what what the heck um we're gonna go grand theft auto on this joint and <laughs> one of the uh one of the greatest and most expensive cars in the world i feel like that would be a pretty good one that i would want to roll with i like that i like that I, I like the idea not the fact that it's illegal roman what about yeah, you you placed me in a box <laughs> um I you feel know, like rob a bank is kind of the move for this one, though. No, this one's boring. You can't say rob a bank. I know, but like the basis answer has got to be rob a bank. You know what? We're just going to go with vandalize Neyland Stadium and call it a day. <laughs> <laughs> for some reason, I really thought Roman was going to be like, yeah, smoking a whole pack of weed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's also an option, but I wanted to <laughs> <laughs> Oh, how you about, love the about, late night podcast. How about, oh how my about, goodness. How about smoking a pack of weed while vandalizing the stadium? <laughs> but, that could create some good memes right there. What Roman? No, well, no, we are we are vandalizing Neyland Stadium. That's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Roman, what's gonna happen if like tomorrow morning this episode gets published and for some reason the stadium has been vandalized? What happens then? It was it was quite a coincidence. <laughs> Roman made friends with a gorilla <laughs> and vandalized Neyland Stadium. Oh my that's gosh. The, that's I'd the basis. Be, all I'm remembering is Roman saying he'd want to be friends with every animal. <laughs> Maybe somehow he got to ride on a hippo. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but anyways, we're going to wrap up this episode. Thank episode. you for watching. Yeah, thank you for watching the whole thing. I appreciate y'all. Um, we've heard a lot of good all feedback from this. So yeah, continue to share. Um, this podcast but from all the guys here um, we thank you for watching this and that we will see you next time uh the water chose me <laughs> no it didn't yes, it... <laughs> dang it <laughs> you better keep this part in <laughs> i'm all alone